0: Yeah, so uh, I want to begin by just asking you a question, and, and that's, that's uh, and I know the answer to this, but we all appreciate a good movie, right? Yeah. I mean, how many of you just like, man, I just love a good movie? Yeah. How many are the type that when you watch a good movie, you just can't wait to recommend it? Who, who are those people? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. Whenever I watch something, I think about the people as I'm watching it, oh, this person would really like this scene or this part of the story. And so I like a good movie. And as I was preparing this week's talk, I was thinking about what makes a good movie good? What is it about those top five movies that we always recommend? And as I contemplated that, I was thinking, like, you know what? I I believe a good movie gets me in all my feels, Right? It has me feeling all the emotions. I, a good movie is going to make me laugh, but it's also going to make me tear up a little bit. A good movie is going to make me think. It's going to inspire me. It's, it's going it's to um, inspire for me to want to travel or change a habit, like change my diet. I mean, a good movie, it is a powerful, powerful thing. I also think that a good movie, it, it gives us memorable scenes or it feeds us language, right? Words to quote. And I was thinking about all those things as I was thinking about a particular movie that I would say is one of my favorites. And you care to guess what it might be? Anyone? I just heard Top Gun, all right, all right. Yeah, you're probably thinking, well, I, you know, if you don't know me, Carlos is a pastor, so surely he's, he's on that Pur- Pure Flix subscription. I mean, <laughs> this guy looks like, a, you know, a fireproof guy, or, you know, he watches The Passion of the Christ. Well, those are all good movies. I do recommend those watching them, but um, I, wasn't always, I wasn't always saved. And so uh, one of my favorite movies is the story of a man and his name is Forrest Gump, (laughs) right? How many of you have watched this movie? Yeah, so hands are going up. And so I want to know uh, who, who are the barely saved people in the room because one thing about Forrest Gump is that it gives us language. It gives us lines to quote. And so I'm just curious to know if we can finish these quotes from the movie Forrest Gump. The first one is a simple one. It's this. It's, run, Forrest Yeah, without hesitation. How many of you have said that in different ways? Yes, yes. You never know what you're going to get. See, Forrest Gump was a great movie because it gave us lines. That we repeat, and it gave us scenes that we go back to. And so, there is a particular scene that has stood out for me—one that I've always remembered, and one that I want to share with you right now. So let's watch this. Flight it's like, it's striking. take can't sit here you know it's funny what a young man recollects cuz i don't remember being born i i don't recall what i got for my first christmas and i don't know when i went on my first outdoor picnic but I do remember the first time I heard the sweetest voice in the wide world. You can sit here if you want. I had never seen anything so beautiful in my life. She was like an angel. Well, you're going to sit down, aren't you? What a powerful moment. The moment that Forrest meets Jenny. And I don't know about you, but I have found myself trying to do that accent with my friends as they got on the bus. <laughs> you can see here if you want. I know I can't get there. But it's something about the moment and the accent, right? And this particular saying came to my mind because it really does begin to capture this conversation that we are having in our current collection of talks that we are calling Making Room for Different. And if you're joining us for the first time, we are looking at how God, time and time again, story after story, he shows that he makes room for those that are overlooked Pushed to the margins or not seen as worthy. Uh, God, time again, time and time again, throughout the biblical narrative, he makes room for, in one word, those that might be different. And so, Kim and Ilseon, they did a great job uh, of getting us started last week. And um, it was just an incredible time to know that we at Evergreen are committed to making room for kids and youth. We want to be a church that sees, raises, honors, celebrates, prioritizes the next generation. And so if you call this home, we want to celebrate that and thank you that you are a church that makes room for kids and youth. Well, today we're going to be looking at a story similar to like the story of a man uh, in, in the, the movie of Forrest Gump. We're going to be looking at a story of another man. And this, this story, I believe, is one where we can see that Jesus is not only making room for difference, but Jesus is making room for someone who is seen as undeserving. And so today I want to talk to you about what does it look like to make room for the undeserving. And so we're going to go together uh, to the gospel of Luke, and we are going to study together a potentially familiar story to you. If it's not, then we get to look at it uh, with fresh eyes. Uh, Luke Chapter 19, we find at the beginning of that chapter, the story of Zacchaeus. The story of Zacchaeus. And we're going to be reading that together beginning in verse 1. It says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Everyone say Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Let's pause there in verse 4. We'll continue the story throughout this message. But first, I just want to capture what we know for sure about this man named Zacchaeus. We know three things for sure based on just reading these four first, uh, first four verses, and that's this. We know his name, we know his career choice, and we know something about his height, his stature. Well, his name. Let's start there. Why would knowing his name is important? Well, first of all, this is the only time in all four Gospels that we hear this story, this story was recorded for us. And Luke, who, who uh, we know took great care, uh, he, he went into great effort to capture important detail, made sure that we knew Zacchaeus' name. Now that's significant because we have many stories of the Bible in the Bible of men, women, and children. But a lot of times, their names are not mentioned. How often do we read a story which says a man or a woman? But for our benefit, we know the name Zacchaeus. And I'm going to share a little bit more of why I think that's the case. The second thing we know is we know his career choice. Now, it says that Zacchaeus was what? A tax collector, but even more specific than that, he was a chief tax collector. And I was racking my brain to come up with a modern-day example that would resemble a tax collector's role during the time of Jesus, and this is the best I could do. You ready for it? I want us to think about the role of parking enforcement. I have never been hanging out with my friends and seen someone say, "Oh, goody! There's parking enforcement." Never has that happened. Why? Because what do what does parking enforcement? What do they do? They give parking tickets, and we all know that parking tickets are just the worst, right? They suck, right? And so no one is ever excited. To see parking enf- enforcement. Here's what I want to say, that you're not going to earn friends by working in parking enforcement. <laughs> by the way, if you are a parker, parking enforcement person here in the room, I want you to know that we love you and you are welcome. And <laughs> I'm sorry that this example involves your, your, your profession. But um, all that to say is that people, uh, there are certain professions that don't earn you friends. And to be a tax collector during the time of Jesus, not only did it guarantee that you weren't going to be popular, but it actually guaranteed that you were going to be hated. A tax collector was absolutely despised during the time of Jesus. A tax collector was within its category of murderers and prostitutes and tax collectors. There's a verse in the Bible that says that even tax collectors were coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. And you see, you might be asking why? What is it about a tax collector? Well, a tax collector during the time of Jesus was an absolute traitor because who they were, they were Jewish men who worked for the Roman government to collect the taxes from the people, and they were well known for taking way more than they had to. And so here was Zacchaeus, we know his name, and here he was, the chief tax collector. What we should know about Zacchaeus then is that for a long time and towards a lot of people, he stole money. He took money. For his own personal gain, Zacchaeus was despised in Jericho. But that wasn't the end of Zacchaeus' problems. We also know that Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. <laughs> Zacchaeus wasn't someone um, who you were going to send down uh, for a pass as a, for a Hail Mary, right? He was not going to be your wide receiver. No, Zacchaeus was going to be on the line. He was going to be a guard or he's going to be a snapper, right? Zacchaeus wasn't going to be making the basketball team. And so on this day that Jesus showed up to Jericho, Zacchaeus' height presented him a problem. Because we see in verse 2 that he wanted to what? He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus, but because of the crowd, he had to find another way And because of this, now I believe we can now infer some things about Zacchaeus. We knew for sure his name, his career. We know something about his height. But what can we infer about Zacchaeus? The first thing we can infer is this. Zacchaeus was desperate. He was desperate to see Jesus. I am imagining a kid at the end of the day at Disneyland one, to see the Disneyland fireworks. Just excited to see, I need to see these fireworks. Zacchaeus needed to see Jesus. And why do we know that? Because he does two things that give it away. What does he do? He First, he runs. And second, he climbs. Now, that might not um, mean too much right away because um, You know, if you think about it, um, running and climbing is pretty typical to human behavior until you reach about 10 years old, right? After 10, you're not doing much running and climbing. I mean, think about it. When's the last time you saw a grown man in public run and climb? It's not often unless there's an emergency, right? But specifically for Zacchaeus and him being a first-century Jewish man, we should consider what he would be wearing on this day. And if he was wearing traditional Jewish male clothing, he would be wearing something like a robe. And so Zacchaeus would then have to take the ends of his robes, and he would have to flip them, turn them, and tie them into his belt. That is what the Bible refers to as girding the loins. This is what men did when they had to work, run, or fight. And so Zacchaeus would have had to do this in order for him to effectively run and climb. And why was that such a big deal? Well, Zacchaeus was living in a very modest culture. To expose his legs in public was taboo. And so you see, Zacchaeus, his desperation led him to be willing to risk embarrassment in front of the people who would have gladly seen him embarrassed. The people who despised him already, Zacchaeus was putting himself at risk through literally public exposure. But I believe that there's something deeper going on that points to Zacchaeus' desperation because I believe That by Zacchaeus running and climbing a tree that day, he was showing the people that his wealth wasn't enough, that he was longing for something, that he was desperate for something. There was part of his life that was left unfulfilled. And no matter how much money he robbed, no no matter how nice his house was, he still wanted To discover whatever this man Jesus was offering. And I believe that what Zacchaeus was missing was relationship, was belonging. And so here is Zacchaeus risking it all, exposing himself both literally and figuratively to his enemies to the people that wanted the worst in his life. And so Zacchaeus is about to teach us something, or is about to teach us that sometimes desperation pays off. Sometimes reaching a place of desperation is when God does his best work. So I want to pause there because if you would admit to yourself, to the people you trust, to us, that, man, I'm desperate, I'm longing, then I want you to know that God has a history of meeting you and working in that desperation. Amen? And so what happens in verse five? It says that when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. I want you to read those three words. He looked up. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Notice what happened. Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus. And I believe that's intentional. I believe that Dr. Luke, he wrote that detail for our benefit. Why? Because Zacchaeus had been living a life where both Because of his height and because of his choices, society looked down on him. And here was Jesus, the man of the hour, the reason why the crowd had gathered, and it was Jesus that was looking up at Zacchaeus. And could it be that Jesus is modeling for us how we should see those we've deemed or society or culture has deemed undeserving. Could it be that in this moment, God is seeing, he's showing us how he sees us, how the deserving sees the undeserving. Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus. And that is set in motion, I believe, a radical transformation. But Jesus not only looks up, he does three things. Number one, he calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus, he doesn't say, hey, you, right, guy in the tree. He calls him by name. He says, come down immediately. He calls him from this distant place, and he does this thing that I'm going to describe as he initiates a relationship. He says, I must stay at your house. Jesus is drawing near to Zacchaeus, And all of this happens, folks, before Zacchaeus shows any sign of life change, any sign of transformation. Zacchaeus is the same despised chief tax collector at the moment that Jesus initiates with him. And that should tell us something about God. That should tell us something about God, that God does not expect us to clean up our act before we can have a relationship with him. But God actually initiates with us. And so the question here is not, did Jesus make room for Zacchaeus? The question here for Zacchaeus and for us is, was Zacchaeus willing to make room for Jesus? Are you willing to make room for Jesus just as you are with all your Your good habits, with all your bad habits, with all your education, or lack thereof, are you willing in this moment to make room for Jesus? That is the question. And so Jesus models how we, as followers of Christ, should move towards and not away from the undeserving. Notice it's Jesus moving towards and not away. And so, Zacchaeus' response is in verse 6. He says this, So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Notice that the desperation is alive and well. Zacchaeus does not hesitate to take this opportunity to receive this respected teacher, this Messiah, that he would get to host him. He welcomes him gladly. And how do the people respond? In verse 7, it says, the people saw this and they began to what? Mutter. He is gone to be the guest of the sinner. And if you consider the statement, if you consider who they are muttering about, it's not Zacchaeus, it's Jesus. So here were these people who were there to see Jesus, and now he's doing something that they don't approve of. And so now they began to criticize the man they were coming to see. And so Jesus teaches us that when we make room for the undeserving it's just not always the popular choice. But popularity never stopped Jesus, and, should it, and so it should never stop us. And so we, we practice a lifestyle of making room for the undeserving, not because it's popular, not because it's going to earn us more friends or followers, but because it's christ Christlike. Because it's righteous. And let's see what happens in verse 8. But Zacchaeus, he stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay four times the amount. The amount. And as far as I know, as far as I could read, Jesus did not go to Zacchaeus' house house, and give him a lecture on his sinful lifestyle. If he did, we don't have it recorded. He didn't give a word of correction. He didn't remind him of what the Ten Commandments were of thou shalt not steal and how he should be treating his neighbor. As far as we know, a word was not spoken, but what we do know is that a radical act was taken. Yeah. That Jesus's radical act of grace of initiating with the undeserved was enough to set in motion a one hundred and eighty life change for Zacchaeus, yeah. and so that should teach us something. It should teach us a few things: is we love people uh, based on their based on the image of God in them, that is enough for people to be treated with dignity and respect and kindness and grace. But we should also see that when we encounter Jesus like Zacchaeus did on that day, that our lifestyles shouldn't remain the same. You see, Zacchaeus had a real encounter with Jesus, and Jesus didn't just say, hey, continue living like you want. It's okay for you to um, continue um, just taking from people and being a part of this unjust, oppressive system. The Lord doesn't approve or he doesn't affirm of any of those things. Instead, he shows grace, and that grace leads Zacchaeus to repentance. Zacchaeus realizes that because of the love of Christ I've experienced in my home, I am now going to not take, but be generous. I am going to do what I can to make amends. I'm going to right my wrongs. And it's this change in lifestyle, I think, that caused Zacchaeus' name to be remembered. I believe that. That day, the city of Jericho was forever changed because here was their chief tax collector who's gone from thief to being generous and being kind and saying, I'm willing to use my wealth for good because Jesus, you have shown me grace to undeserved love. I'm going to ask the band to come up and as as they do, I want to just speak to the Zacchaeus in the room first. If you're like me, you've you've made choices, you've uh, you've lived a life that you don't you're not always proud of, or, or things that you know that are just absolutely wrong, and you know better. And maybe you have had the thought process of I need to clean my act up first before I can have this relationship with God. Well, if that's you today, may I just recommend that you would consider the life of Zacchaeus. Because as we read, Zacchaeus did nothing that day but show desperation. What Zacchaeus did was he humbled himself. He says, I don't care what the crowd thinks. I don't, I, don't, I don't care what my haters or what my enemies or the general public thinks. I am willing to take a risk right now to see this man Jesus. And so I want to invite you, if you have not began a relationship with Jesus, if you have not made room for Jesus in your life, you can do that right now. With whatever choices you're making, wherever you're at in life, Jesus wants to initiate a relationship with you. I also want to speak to the rest of us who who are learning to love and learning to love well and following the way of Jesus. May we be a community that sees the undeserving the way Jesus does, that initiates that makes room for, that draws near to, not expecting people to change, but trusting that when we love well, the Holy Spirit does the transformative work of shaping people into the image of Christ, that we would be faithful to that, that we would be like Jesus and invite people into our lives or go go into people's lives with that heart and mind to just serve and love so I want to pray um, as we get ready to sing a final song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story that you've preserved for us in Zacchaeus. We thank you that you model what it looks like to love those in the margins, those that people have counted out. Haven't we all been counted out? Father, in, in, in comparison to your holiness, Your word says we all fall short. We are all we are all um, deserving of of mercy, Lord. We are all, we all need mercy and grace in our life. And so help us today to be reminded that it's because of your grace that we can draw near. And for anyone here in the room, Lord, who who might be distant, uh, who who might be desperate. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to them today, that they would see the invitation that you give through your son, Jesus Christ, to be made whole, to to be healed, to be able to satisfy the longing in our hearts. I pray, God, that if there's anyone here today that hasn't made room for you, that they would see this as their opportunity. And Lord, we trust you With the transformation process, we trust you that you will sanctify us. You will make us like your son, Jesus, so that we could live lives of generosity and kindness and forgiveness and that we would be able to move into the world less like ourselves and more like you. That is our prayer. Help us as we journey with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.